And welcome everyone to my show, The Final Point. Good morning. This is a beautiful day here in California. If you are not watching the NBA Finals, I don't know what you're doing. I do not. I cannot tell you. But I can tell you the big difference between Game 1 and Game 2 and what happened and why this why this series is a split and not the Raptors being up two games to none. Before I dive into it, I will say this. You have to think about the Warriors, for example. On the road, they lost the first game. They won the second game because they had to. There's no way they can come back to Oakland down two games to none. Although, they were down three games to one. Couple years ago to OKC when Durant was on OKC, they came back and won four straight. So it's a pos- they they've proven already that they could be down in the series and win. And they had Durant on the opposite team, and they still won because they won four consecutive ball games. So it's it's still and they won with the same team that we're looking at right now, and I believe that was in 2015. So that's a that's just a fact right there. But game one was interesting. It was interesting because the Warriors going into game one, the Warriors had nine days off. Whether you utilize that for practice, whether you utilize that for injuries, whatever it is that you did with those nine days, I'm trying to figure out what happened to the Warriors. What happened? The Raptors outshot them, and the Raptors only had a couple of days off. So the Raptors shot 50%, which was really good. They outshot the Warriors, 40%. 43%, 50%. They outshot them. They came out, um, they came out and shot 50%. They came out and had less turnovers. The Warriors had 17 turnovers the entire game. 17. They had 17 turnovers. They both had the same amount of rebounds. And that final was 118-109. So the Raptors cruised into a nine-point lead. But there's a lot of differences between games one and two. And the first one was the fact that DeMarcus Cousins did not play in game one. DeMarcus Cousins did not play in game one. And I'll say this too, and maybe the Warrior fans that agree with me or they won't, but I I will say this. What is wrong with your lineup? Because if you look at the stat line, the Warriors are playing Stephen Curry 40 minutes. 40 minutes. So he's on the bench for eight minutes of the time. And that's probably broken down in all four quarters. So he might be out two, three minutes here, boom, he's back in. Out two, three minutes here, boom, he's back in. And to me, I just don't think Curry can be effective throughout the game, not just the fourth quarter, but I just don't think he can be effective and make and have an impact on the team throughout the game and not just for the fourth quarter because there's, he hasn't had a chance to rest. So if it, that's basically you're burning all your guys out. Like, for example, Klay Thompson has a hamstring injury, so they say. So they say he has a hamstring injury. And they said, oh, okay, he's he's a game-time decision. And the thing about game-time decisions is that I don't listen to it. 
because this is the NBA Finals. If he can go, I don't care if he's 60-70%. If Klay Thompson can go, he's going to go. There is no such thing as game time decision in the finals. Now, if it's a regular season, yeah, he'll probably sit. But this is not. This is the NBA Finals. One game, one game can change the entire landscape of the series. Whether that be an injury, bad night, whatever. And this is something that the Warriors cannot afford because it definitely is going to impact free agency. And it's definitely going to impact Klay Thompson. It's, it's, it, that's what it's going to do. Because if you think about it, if the Warriors lose, <clears throat> if the Warriors lose Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, which I expect them to lose Kevin Durant, if they lose both, and then they would have to release Livingston at the end of the month, which is June 30. <clears throat> the problem is, is that they're, they're going to have about a roughly maybe 14 point something million dollars. So they're probably looking at $14.2 million in cap space going into next season. And you have to factor in the rookies they're going to draft. So unless they trade the pick away, which I don't think so. So... I think if Klay Thompson re-signs, they're going to have to open up the bank. But then it was a, it was a question. It was a question. They said, Klay Thompson didn't make NBA all first team. And I say, well, how do you think that you made NBA all first team when you were just only the number two shooting guard in the league? And on top of that, you're talking about Durant, who had a stellar season before his injury. You're talking about James Harden. You're talking about some of the elite basketball players in this league. What makes you think you're above them? Paul George had a, had a great year. So how do you think you're doing that over them? And what Klay Thompson must realize and fans must realize is that Klay Thompson is on a all-star team. All five of those players are all-stars every single year, no matter what their season looks like. Especially Boogie Cousins. He goes somewhere else. He guaranteed on the balance. Guaranteed. Going. Period. Just wanted to throw that fun fact out there. But here's the thing. Looking at game one was scary. It was very, very, very scary. Because it's like, oh man, you know, we're down one game. Yeah, it's just one game. But... Sometimes that's a momentum builder to go to be at home, short days rest, knock off the world champions, one game. But then you shift gears and you go down to game two, and game two was horrible for the Raptors. The Raptors didn't shoot well at all. They went five consecutive minutes without scoring, and they shot 37%. Golden State was close to 50% shooting. That's a problem. And I must say this, I am a big Draymond Green critic. Anybody who's ever talked to me, anybody who's, um, they know I can't stand Draymond Green. I cannot stand Draymond Green. But I'll say this, he has improved in my eyes. He's improved a lot. He's shown me something. Let's put it this way. He got my attention. He got my attention with what he's doing on the court. This is an undersized power forward who can get you a double-double guarantee. If he can't do anything else, he can get you a double-double. He can get you at least 10 points, 10 rebounds. 
10 points. I can't say that for centers like Capella, Tristan Thompson, guys that are making some 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 top dough in this league and arguably probably been an elite big man in the league at one particular time. But Draymond Green is undersized. Draymond Green is doing what centers do. And it's incredible. And I'm I'm guilty of it. I don't give him the respect he's due, in my opinion. I don't. But looking at what he's doing now, how can you not? How can you not give a guy who's under who's undersized? He comes in and gives you and, and these are big minutes that he's playing. He's playing 40 minutes, 38 minutes, 36 minutes, 42 minutes. I mean, this guy is playing a lot for Golden State. The last two games. He's played 40-plus minutes the last two games. So he played 40 the first game, 41 the second game. And when you look at it, he had a triple-double the first game. 10-10, cross the board. 10 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. Your point guard should have at least 10 assists. But we are talking about Stephen Curry. But when you have an all-star team, it doesn't matter. Because... All your players are going to contribute in different ways, whether it be from an assist standpoint, scoring standpoint, rebound standpoint. It doesn't really make much of a difference. You look at you look at uh, Green. Draymond Green doesn't shoot well at all. He's horrible. But fun fact: Game two, he he took twelve attempts, made six. Not bad at all for somebody who's a horrible shooter. Not bad at all. I'll take that all night long. I'll tell you that right now. I'll take that. Andre Iguodala, this is what I didn't understand, is that no matter what anybody says, Andre Iguodala, that's a bad man when he gets going. The thing is, is that why would you play Iguodala 29 minutes and you know he's hurt? Warrior fans, explain that to me. I need answers. Why would you play Iguodala 29 minutes? I don't care if it's the finals or not. Because I think think Looney should have been starting. You could have rotated Jordan Bell. There was there was options for Kerr in game one. There was options, and there still is. He didn't have a problem with putting in Boogie Cousins right away, despite him coming off of injury. And who's to say, if this, is this guy healthy or not? Is, is Cousins ready? Cousins gave you a double-double in a short time. 20-something minutes in a short time. But you can still see him limping. And all I'm saying is, I'm not here to dictate whether guys are ready or guys are not ready. What I'm saying is, is that utilize these players to be effective in the fourth quarter. And that's the same thing that the Raptors have to do also. But the problem is, when your bench doesn't have experience, it's hard to go to them because this is the finals. So it's 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 really it's really one of those issues where... Um, you find out that teams are not as reluctant to have a bench in the finals because of experience. If you think about it, Danny Green hasn't really been starting for the Raptors, but game one, he was in the lineup. And that's because you don't you have a lot of guys who don't have experience. They just don't. Going back to this, game one, the Warriors had 17 turnovers. And I think the change that they made was not so much of DeMarcus Cousins being inserted into the starting lineup, but they 
minimized the turnovers that they had in game one, which allowed them to be um, the winners in game two. The Raptors did not look like the same team we saw in game one. That's for one. That's for sure. But but Golden State said, we had 17 turnovers. We got to knock that down. So they did. They did that. Great job. Because I believe they had 16 turnovers. Well, no, they had 15 turnovers. So they, they knocked it down by two. The problem was, was that the reason why the turnovers in game two wasn't really that much of effective is for the simple fact that the, the Raptors shot poorly. They went five consecutive minutes without scoring in game two, which you cannot do that. And I was just telling somebody yesterday, you cannot have a six-point lead, eight-point lead, and take your foot off the gas when you're playing the Golden State Warriors. Especially when you got Stephen Curry hitting crazy shots from three-point land. You cannot do it. And the thing is, if the Raptors want to win this series, win the NBA championship, and bring it back to Toronto, they're going to have to do one thing that they did not do in game two. And that is play defense for all four quarters. If they can play defense for all four quarters, it does not matter. The Warriors are going to lose this series. You have to score. Score and play defense. The problem is, is that they haven't been able to do that in game two. They haven't. They have to keep Draymond Green off the boards. They have to. They're too big down low for Draymond Green to come up with 10 rebounds. That's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. To me, he can get the long rebounds, right? The rebounds that bounce off the rim and they go away. The loose the loose rebounds, so to speak. <clears throat> That's why Draymond Green gets you a double-double every time. Every time. When you look at free throw shooting, the Raptors shot poorly from the free throw line. Game two, the Raptors shot, in game two, they shot 86%. They shot 86% from the free throw line. When you're playing the Warriors, you got to shoot, if not 100%. The Raptors shot from three-point land, they shot... 37% from the floor. When you're playing the Warriors, you got to shoot 50%. So you have to do way better than you did in that first game. You have to if you're going to beat them. Because we know when we're playing the Warriors, we know what we're getting from them. We know the consistency that we're getting from them. We know Klay Thompson is going to do the same thing he does all all game. That's shoot them threes. Klay Thompson is not going to go to the paint because that's not his game. So I don't understand why the Raptors are not closing out or contesting those shots. Now, Curry will go to the paint. He'll go. But the Raptors have to force him to go. Meaning that whoever's guarding Stephen Curry, maybe Kyle Lowry, he has to contest those shots and make it uncomfortable for Curry. So if Curry drives to the basket, then we have Gazal that can come up or we have uh, Siakam that can come up and contest that layup. But what's going to happen is, and what makes it difficult for the Raptors is, if Curry comes down, and if he if he gets that first step, he's either going to dish it off or he's going to the basket every time. That's the problem with forcing Curry to go to the basket. We got to be ready for that. But those are the things that I look at in transition. 
or if they slow the game down and set and set up. It's obvious that Klay Thompson's a spot-up shooter. We got to get after him. We can't leave him wide open. But I want to touch back on the first game. The first game, Draymond Green played 40 minutes. He had a triple-double, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 10 points. Iguodala played 29 minutes, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, 6 points. Now let's dive into Iguodala for a moment. Iguodala shot not great at all, but he's very productive on this court. He's very, very productive. Uh, In 28 minutes, or 29 minutes rather, a lot of people play that, and they don't give you any of that. They don't give you any of that. And I can go down the line and tell you who doesn't give you that. I still feel Iguodala should be on the bench coming off the bench. I think he'll be more effective that way, especially in less time. Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry shot bad in the first game. He went 8 of 18 in 40 minutes. I've seen way better than that. And he's he's done better than that. But he still came up with 34 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 40 minutes. Klay Thompson had 39 minutes, 8 of 17, 5 rebounds, 1 assist, 21 points. Now, think about that stat line, for example. Think about that stat line. You had 21 points out of out of 8 field goals made. That's why you're not on the NBA All-NBA team, if Klay Thompson didn't know. That's why. Because of your shooting. If you improve that on less attempts, your stat line goes up. But it takes him 17 attempts to make 21 points, but you're only making eight shots. That's That doesn't convince me that you need to be NBL first team. That's just my opinion. If you look at the Raptors in game one, Siakam played 40 minutes. He only missed three shots the entire game. Went 14 of out of 17 shots, he made 14. He had eight rebounds, five assists for 30 for 30 for 32 points. So he had 32 points. So basically it took him 17 attempts, 14 made shots to come up with 32 points. That's 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 a heck of a game. That's a heck of a game. Kawhi Leonard played uh, 43 minutes, went 5 of 14, had 8 rebounds, and 23 points. Let's talk about that. Kawhi Leonard should not be playing all those minutes. You got to give Kawhi Leonard a break. He's got to breathe. That man is tired. He's exhausted. And that's probably why they went 5 consecutive minutes without scoring. The problem is is that the Raptors have been too dependent on Kawhi Leonard. And once you take away, see what the Warriors do that's great, that has made them champions, is that they take away what teams do so well. Which is what makes them that much better than a lot of teams that you would think on paper that could probably beat them. Which they probably could beat the Warriors. But the Warriors do a great job of taking away what teams do so well. Whether that's shooting, rebounding, free throw shooting, whatever it is. That's what the Warriors do so well. Going back to the stat line, Mark Gasol played 30 minutes, had 20 points. But he shot 60% for a big man, not bad. Kyle Lowry, 
I got to talk about this. This is this is embarrassing. I got I got to talk about Kyle Lowry right now. I got I, I got to get on his line. Kyle Lowry plays 36 minutes. He so basically he plays more than 35 minutes a game. My question is, what are you doing for your basketball team, sir? 30 plus minutes a game. You're giving the Raptors two of nine shooting, six rebounds, nine assists, seven points. To me, that's not enough. It may sound decent, somewhat productive, but it's not good enough. It's not. Uh, what's good enough to me is nine assists, 15 points, 30-something minutes. That's good enough. That's good enough. But you can't play 30-something minutes, foul out, six points. That doesn't work. It's not going to happen. Kawhi Leonard cannot score under 10 points and think the Raptors are going to win. That's not going to happen either. Lowry got to step his game up. This is embarrassing. Lowry got to step his game. For the money he's making, nah, man. Danny Green, 30 minutes, 4 of 9. One rebound, one assist, 11 points. Not bad, not great, not very productive, but they got double-digit scoring from him. Danny Green is starting. You must realize Danny Green's starting because of his experience. He's won championships at this level. Kawhi Leonard won championships at this level, so they understand what they have to do. And Danny Green still is a good shooter in this league. We just need more of the consistent shooting. Vlan Vliet. I will say this. That's his name. Vlan Vliet. We got to talk about that too because I need answers. I never heard of this dude. I'll be honest with you. I never heard of him. But he shot in game one, five of eight. One rebound, two assists, 15 points. And you must realize this guy comes off the bench. So he's the only, basically he's a six man. He's doing more than Kyle Lowry. And Kyle Lowry starts. And Kyle Lowry makes more money than this guy does. My thing is, and shout out to Ujiri because he's done a fantastic job. But I think. If the Raptors have to make any changes, you got to get rid of Kyle Lowry. I mean, this guy is just, he's not doing nothing for you. He didn't do nothing last year, and he didn't do nothing this year. Going forward into game two. That was game one. Game two. Very disappointing. The Raptors shot 37%. Golden State shot, like I said, close to 50%. The Raptors made too many mistakes. The Raptors took 94 shots, only made 35. Golden State took 82, only made 38. Golden State was the better three-point shooting team, and the Raptors shot an all-time low, 28% from the three-point line. But game one, they shot 39%. The consistency is, with Golden State, they shot 38% in the first game, and then they shot 38% again in the second game, meaning the consistency of the three-point shooting that we've talked about earlier. Then you talk about uh, rebounds. The Raptors lost 109-104, but look at all the attempts that the Raptors had and the opportunities that they had, especially 
They out-rebounded the Warriors, 58-51. Here's a stat line for you. Draymond Green shot 6 of 12, 41 minutes. He had 10 rebounds, 9 assists, 17 points. Again, he had a double-double. He was close to a triple-double. I think he was, uh, no, he was one assist away from having a triple-double. Again, productivity. He, he, he shows me every time. Every time. Iguodala, another 28 minutes. Eight rebounds, six assists, eight points. Now, he had a much better game, in my opinion. He had a much better game. Game two. Very effective. But I still feel he's hurt. And I still feel he shouldn't be playing 28 minutes. DeMarcus Cousins, 28 minutes. 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 11 points. That is not bad. That is not bad for your game for your first game coming back from injury. Not bad at all. Stephen Curry took uh he he played 41 points, had took 17 attempts, made 6, had 3 rebounds, 4 assists for 23 points. Not bad, but not great. I've seen better. Klay Thompson, 32 point, I mean, I'm sorry, 32 minutes. Uh, 17 shots, made 10. Uh, five rebounds, five assists for 25 points. So the Splash Brothers combined for 48 points in 73 minutes. So in 73 minutes combined total, they came up with 48 points, which was enough to win. It was enough to win. They got the job done. What can you say? Siakam for the Raptors had 41 minutes, 5 of 18, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 12 points. If Siakam does not score 25-plus in this series, Raptors are not going to win. Simple as that. Raptors don't have a shot at all. I don't care if the Warriors lose Cousins and Iguodala at the same time, and they could have Klay Thompson uh, on crutches. They still won't win. Because Kawhi Leonard can't do it all by himself. Kawhi Leonard, 39 minutes, 8 of 20, 14 rebounds, 34 points. Now, my question is, when you look at this from a defensive standpoint, and they said this on, I think it was on Cron 4, I'm not sure. I think it was the post game. Um, it's ABC 7 out here. But my question to, and I know what Donald Foyle was talking about, how they did really well defensively. My question is, if you do well, if you did, if you played such a great defensive game, my question is, how do you give up 14 rebounds to one player? How do you give up 14 rebounds to Kawhi Leonard? And arguably, he's the top two player in the league, top three player in the league. I understand that. And we know what he can do on the court. But my question is, you have Draymond Green, you have DeMarcus Cousins down low. How does he get 14 rebounds? I guess I'm looking at it from a size standpoint. How do you give up 14 rebounds? And here's another fun stat for you. Kawhi Leonard had more rebounds than anybody on the Warriors. Period. So, to me, when you talk about defensively, no. The Warriors didn't do anything defensively. The Raptors couldn't score. Because they're tired. When you're playing 40-something minutes plus, you're tired. You're exhausted. You need a break. And then they couldn't get in the rhythm. 
They took a lot of three-point shots instead of going to the basket, maybe drawing some fouls, getting on the free-throw line, and closing the, closing the gap a lot closer. That's what I would have done, but that's not what they did. Then you look at Mark Gasol. He played 31 minutes, six rebounds, two assists, six points. Again, if Mark Gasol can't give you 15 points or better, the Raptors don't win. Simple as that. I don't care what he does defensively. I don't care. You gotta have you have to score more than necessary to beat the Warriors. That's what it's gonna take. For crying out loud, we have Kyle Lowry who played 28 minutes. And another fun fact here is that the reason why he played 28 minutes is because he fouled out. So he probably would have played maybe 30 plus minutes had he not fouled out, but he still wouldn't have gave um the Raptors anything. He took 11 shots, made four, had one rebound, two assists. He had 13 points. 13 points, that's cool if you score in double digits, but it's not good enough to beat the Warriors. It's not. I mean, if he's a point guard, if he's the point guard for the Raptors, then Curry, Curry, you gave up what? You gave up 23 points to Curry. You gave up 23 points to Curry. I don't think either team defensively is that good. I don't. Because, like I said, the stat line doesn't show me that. The difference is Danny Green played 28 minutes. Started for, what, I think his second game. Played 28 minutes, had five five rebounds, eight points. Danny Green's got to give you 15 points at best. And I think that's a realistic number. Vlam V played good again. 38 minutes, four rebounds for 17 points. Ibaka, here's a great stat line, and I think he needs to play more. Ibaka, in 16 minutes, he had 10 rebounds. In 16 minutes. In 16 minutes, he had 10 rebounds. Off the bench. So he had more rebounds than anybody coming off the bench and all the players that came off the bench for the Warriors combined. That's huge. And they still lost. So I think I think my keys to the game, and this is my opinion for the Raptors to win uh, game three in, in Golden State, is that you got to take yourself out of the crowd. Because those fans go crazy. So you got to take it. That's the first thing you got to do. And you got to have tunnel vision in that ball game. Free throw shooting, you have to be almost perfect. And you have to shoot better than 50% like you did in game one. Either 50% or better if you're going to beat the Warriors. But you have to bother the Warriors. You have to take what they do so well, which is their shooting. You have to. But if the Raptors win the series, like I said earlier, it's because of, of, of their defense. Because that defense is what's going to win it. Not because Kawhi Leonard can average 30-something a game. Not because Kawhi Leonard had 14 points. They're, everybody has to step it up, and Kyle Lowry has to stay out of foul trouble. Because Kyle Lowry has to be the guy that allows the rotation to flow to where you know they can go to different options in different situations to be able to uh, make the matchups work out evenly which I don't even think the Golden State Warriors match up. Now that now that uh, Cousins is back, I still don't think they match up. And Cousins is big and physical, so 
there's going to be some fouls. The whistle's going to blow because he's that physical. So I think you have to minimize the turnovers and take advantage of the opportunities or the attempts that's given to you. Because at this point right now, the Warriors, the Warriors are, t- are going to take everything that the Raptors are giving them. And what we must understand is that the Warriors, they, they know what to do. They've been, this is not their first rodeo. They know what to do. They know what to do. This is not the first time that they've done that, that, they're, that they're here. This is not 2015. They're well-seasoned since then. They're getting ready probably to win their fourth title. They're getting ready to win their fourth title, possibly. I don't want to count the Raptors out. I don't. Because I still believe the Raptors can win this series. I still believe the Raptors can, can, uh, can win the championship, in my opinion. Now, looking at it from all angles, like I said, Game 3 is huge for the Raptors. I believe that it's pressure on both teams. I think whoever wins uh, on Wednesday night, I think it's definitely going to be um, one, of the, one of the things that I look at is whoever wins Game 3, that's going to be the team that actually probably wins the series. But I think for the Raptors, the Raptors have to prove to Golden State that they can win on the road. You have to be able to win on the road. You have to. You have to be able to win on the road. And that's going to be the thing. That we all we understand what the Warriors are going to do at home. We know it. They're going to they're going to have the crowd behind them. They're going to have Oakland, Alameda, everybody behind them and they're going to knock down their threes. They're going to they're going to do their thing. But Kawhi Leonard, they can't be so dependent on Kawhi Leonard. Everybody has to step up. Everybody has to contribute. If 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 the Raptors can do what they did in Game One, for the next maybe two or three ball games, the series is over. I'll say this to you: if the Raptors win both games in Golden State somehow, some way, which I don't think so, but if they can at least split, I still feel the I still feel Golden State's in trouble. I think in order for Golden State to win, they got to win both games at home. They have to because I think that closes uh, the Raptors out because what's going to happen is is that in order for the Raptors to stay in the series, they're going to have to at least beat Golden State more than one time on the road in order for them to stay in the series. And I just don't see Golden State losing two games in a row at home. It's not going to happen. So that's why it's important for Toronto to win now. It's important for them to win game three. Because if they win game three and they lose game four, it's a split going back home. And we understand that both teams can beat each other back and forth at home. So I say my prediction. um, We're going to go with Toronto. Um, I think think Vegas has it as a 6 uh, six-point favorite for Golden State. I don't know why they're their favorite. They're the world champions. They shouldn't be the... They shouldn't... Well, yeah, they're the favorite. Yeah. And the Raptors are the underdog. So, anyway, going forward, I want to touch on one more thing. And that is... I'm going to shift gears. We're going to talk about boxing. We're going to talk about boxing. And let's start with Anthony Joshua. This past weekend, he lost. 
And congratulations to Andy Ruiz and his team and him becoming the first uh, Mexican heavyweight champion of the world, which is which is huge, which is which is huge. And that's history. But I'm going to say this. Eddie Hearn is is full of it, in my opinion. But I will say this. Uh, shout out to Anthony Joshua in the way that he took his loss. Um, he, you got to give it to him. He he wasn't a poor sport. He didn't have excuses. Um, he said, "Hey, it's it's Andy's night tonight." You know, he he understood he, where he went wrong, and I believe this. I believe Anthony Joshua overlooked Andy Ruiz. Period. I don't care what anybody says. And Andy Ruiz called him with some great shots, and he just didn't recover from it. Now, I think if they fought again, Anthony Joshua is going to dominate that fight, period. And the reason why I say that is only because of the fact that now he understands the thing. He understands Andy Ruiz. He understands that. He understands who this fighter is. And that's what makes you a better prepared fighter when you have a chance to fight somebody and lose or win or it becomes a rematch. You prepare better. Because you know what this guy's all about. You know what he's going to do. I don't think he's going to change the game plan up that much. He just won all the titles. Then he talked all that crap about him being the number one heavyweight in the world. He's this, he's that. Now we can all say automatically, Deontay Wilder is the number one heavyweight in the world. You heard it first. You heard it first. I said it. I said it. And I'm going to tell you why, even though Ruiz got all the belts. Let me tell you why Deontay Wilder is the number one ranked heavyweight in the world. I'm going to tell you why. It's because if Deontay Wilder fought Andrew Ruiz today, we know what the outcome of the story is going to be. We know what the story is going to be. It's going to be another Dominic Brazil knockout in the first round. Boom. And then he unifies all the belts. Then what? I'm telling you. And you know what? It's ironic because I was actually busy working and a good friend of mine texts me and says, hey man, Joshua lost. And I, was, I wasn't even surprised. Not at all. And the embarrassing part about the Joshua loss is that Ruiz is a substitute. Ruiz is a substitute. I had to go back and see who Ruiz fought and all that other stuff, but it didn't matter. It did not matter. He lost. And like I said before, congratulations to, to Andrew Ruiz. That that was a that was a that was a shocker. And it hit the boxing world. But we must remember Anthony Joshua's still young. Anthony there's a lot of noise Anthony Joshua can still make in this sport. He still can do it. It's not his career's not over. Another thing I want to touch on, Keith Thurman. And I've said this in my last podcast. I said it in the podcast before that. Keith, good night. It's going to be another upset. Manny Pacquiao is going to beat Keith Thurman. It's going to be another one. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you. I can see it from here. And shout out to uh, Deontay Wilder too because... Now, a lot of people think it's his team as to why the fights are not getting made. 
you got to give it to Deontay Wilder because when you look at the fact that people say, oh, well, he didn't want to make the fight. He didn't want to do this. Deontay Wilder has a fight in principle for 2020 against a rematch with Tyson Fury. In principle. So we don't have to worry about, oh, is he ever going to fight him? Are they ever going to do the rematch? No, they got something in place for 2020. So we don't have to worry about if they're going to fight or when they're going to fight. But they're going to fight. So that's set in stone. And another thing is that he's he's supposed to be fighting Ortiz also before he fights um, Tyson Fury. And I've seen Ortiz fight. That's a bad man right there. And he still, and even after Deontay Wilder fought him, Deontay Wilder came out and said he's still the second best heavyweight in the world, which I still think he is. I don't think Fury wants the smoke. And I don't think Anthony Joshua wants smoke either. Because King Kong Ortiz is no joke from what I saw. And if you can take it, he got knocked out though. I think eighth or ninth round. But if you can go the distance with Deontay Wilder, that's 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 big in itself. I don't care if you win or lose. That's big in itself. Because a lot of people don't even make it past the first round, as we saw with Brazil. As we saw with other opponents also. If you can make it to the fourth round, you're doing something. Because Deontay Wilder, two things are going to happen. Either you're going to make it to the fourth round, or you're going to wake up from being knocked out. One of the two. So, you know, I mean, you got you to kind of pick your poison. But Tyson Fury is the only fighter that went all 12 rounds. I mean, he got knocked out, and I don't even know how he got up. So this fight in 2020 is going to be very interesting. You got to tune in to see that. You have to. You have to tune in to see that. King Kong Ortiz. Ortiz, it's going to be a close fight. I don't think it's going to be a knockout. I think the difference between the first fight and this fight coming up is that I think Ortiz is going to be well prepared for Deontay Wilder. But Deontay Wilder is still going to beat him. But I think we're going to see a much better Ortiz against Wilder. We're going to see a much better, a much better Ortiz, a much hungrier Ortiz. And I think it's going to be difficult for Wilder to get the knockout based on the style of how Ortiz fights. But we must remember, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how long the fight goes. Deontay Wilder is going to do one of two things. Either he's going to find a way to knock you out or he's going to find a way to win. One of the two. And he's done this time in, time out, time in, time out. And you also got to give him credit because everything he says he does, he does it. He said, I'm going to knock Brazil out. And that's what he did. That man couldn't get up. He didn't know where he was. So tune in for those fights coming up. Um, July 20th is Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman. Like I said before, Keith Thurman is going to get whooped. Um, and when my show airs, I ain't got to worry about it because I'm going to say I told you so. Now, Keith Thurman, youth is definitely on his side. Like I said in a previous podcast, youth is on his side. But experience plays a major key. It plays a major key. And I think, like I said, we're going to see a different Pacquiao than we've seen in the past. And people have said, well, he got knocked out by Marquez. Those things happen. But Keith Thurman is not Marquez. 
Keith Thurman's not going to be as lucky as Marquez was either. There's a big difference. You must realize that. You must realize that. that he's, he's got 61 victories for a reason. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He's dominated the sport for a reason. He's done all the things that a lot of these fighters' careers probably won't make it to. He's won in a lot of different you know, weight classes that Keith Thurman hasn't. He's only what? Been in one weight class? Maybe two? Pacquiao's been in all of them. But heavyweight. <laughs> Just joking. So tune into that July 20th and be looking for my show uh, next week. Starting next week, it's going to be every single day. Every single day. You have to tune in 8 in the morning, 8 a.m. Every morning, Monday through Friday, my show, The Final Point. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.